Father, creator of all things. Father, may the word of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight as we look at this, your holy word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Your view of God determines your view of life. And your view of life determines your way of life. In the back of the bulletin under the sermon notes, with little arrows, so it's a little cute, um, is that very thing. Your view of God determines your view of life, and your view of life determines your way of life. Therefore, you can determine your true view of God by looking at your way of life. Also, if you want to change your way of life, to do that, you need to change your view of God. That's really all I have to say this morning. But I'm afraid the other preachers are going to get mad at me if I preach a two-minute sermon, so let me expand on this a bit. View of God determines your view of life. Your view of life determines your way of life. Everybody has a way of life. Okay, What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your emotional energy, your passion on? What do you worry about? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? How much time do you spend on work, video games, church activities, television? Sports, watching or playing, hobbies, quiet time, texting, telephoning, etc., etc., etc. What do you do when you have some extra spare time? Or do you live your life in such a way that you never have any extra spare time? You see what I'm getting at? We all make choices. And those choices result over time in the way we live. Our way of life. Well, your view of God determines your view of life. And your view of life determines your way of life. If everyone has a way of life, where, and that's made up of choices, where do these choices come from? Are they random? Well, sometimes yes, but less than we probably suppose. Are they genetic? Are they environmentally determined? Again, there's something to that, but, but again, I think less than, than maybe meets the eye. 
Uh, I would argue, and hopefully we'll see shortly that I'm arguing biblically, trying to, that our choices, our way of life, comes to a great extent from our view of life. Okay, way of life, that's a pretty easy concept. Choices we make, the way we spend our money and time. View of life, not so much. What am I talking about? What I'm talking about is the perspective we have on the world. The lenses through which we view the world. I've worn glasses since I was in the eighth grade. When I look at you through my glasses, I can see you reasonably clearly. You are different people. When I take my glasses off, you're a blur. Okay? I'm going to restrain myself from making any comment on that. Um, nothing about how you look better as a blur than that. Okay. Not going to go there. My view of life, my physical view of life is different because of my glasses. I can see stars as individual points of life. I know that trees have tops to them. I can read my notes. The way I live is changed by the way that I can physically see. Well, what I'm suggesting is that everyone also wears glasses on their soul. Everyone views life through various lenses. And if your prescription is right, you view it well. If your prescription is wrong, things are blurred. Is the world basically a benign or a hostile place? Are people basically good or evil? Are people basically to be trusted or not to be trusted? The, world, the word natural, does that indicate a good thing or a bad thing? What's the role of money in your life? What's the role of success in your life? What's the role of popularity in your life? You put all these things and more together and you get your view of life. A fish doesn't think about water. It's just there. And we don't think about air too much. It's just there. So in the same way, a view of life is not something you really think about very much. It's just there but it's there controlling how you live your life. Our view of life, what's important, what's worth striving after, what's real, determines our way of life. We spend our time, our money, our emotional energy 
on what is important to us. And what is important to us comes from our view of life. Now, it comes in consistently. Um, we all have different parts of our view of life that, that battle against each other. But finally, if inconsistently, what we, how we see the world overall, our view of life determines our way of life. Well, your view of God determines your view of life. Your view of life determines your way of life. Finally, everyone has a view of God. Okay, our way of life is determined by our view of life. What determines our view of life? Finally, if again inconsistently, our view of life is determined by our view of God. What we see as the ultimate is what controls us. It's what's at the center the very center of our view of life. This is where it all starts. Everyone. We're just made that way. And that brings us, at long last, to our passage. Having explained somewhat way of life, view of life, in view of God. Let's see how this works out in Scripture. Psalm 115. Look at verses 1 through 3. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the stake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This is in three verses, this is an amazing view of God. Let me point out three aspects of it. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. God is glorious. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. His glory, not ours, is the purpose and reason for creation. He is the center of the universe. We are not. That's easy to say. That's very hard to live out. But that's part of what a view of God gives to you, a correct view of God. He's not just glorious, though. He's also faithful for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God is, the theological word is imminent. He's with us. He's our Father. We don't have to fear. We are protected. But, He's not just a loving God, not just a faithful God. He's not just a Santa Claus off somewhere doing the best he can. 
He's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He's not only imminent with us, he's also transcendent. He's also the creator God, above all things, away from all things. He's not only loving enough to will our good, he's also powerful enough to make his will happen. If we could take that from our heads and put it in our hearts, what a glorious view of life that would give us. Our lenses would be properly focused. We would have a right view of God that leads to a right view of life that would lead to a right way of life. The psalmist goes on to compare a life, a view of life built on the knowledge of the true God with a view of life not built on the knowledge of the true God. This rather humorous, in a way, section from four to seven. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they can't even breathe. They can't even make a sound in their throat, let alone speak. And then comes the kicker. Verse 8, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. If we worship other than the true God, we literally lose our senses. The ways that God has given us to understand and navigate the world don't work anymore. The senses that he's given us to perceive the world stop working. The hands and feet he's given us to walk around the world stop working. We become dumb, inert statues. Romans 1, it's in your your bulletin, uh, Paul expresses a similar truth. Romans 1.25 He says, they, the people who knew God but repressed their knowledge, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's it's like, this is an example used quite often, so I'm not claiming originality for it, but it's like a woman getting an engagement ring a diamond engagement ring. And she is so excited about the engagement ring. She goes to her friends and shows off her engagement ring. And her friends say, well, tell us about your fiancé. And she says, who? She says, let me show you the ring, though. She was exchanging the giver for the gift. And so we are become so enamored with created things that our pull is naturally to worship them, the gift of God, rather than the creator, the giver, God. 
We're natural idolaters. We may not make gold and silver statues and bow down to them, but our hearts continually pump out idols. Robert has preached on this a number of times. To the extent we follow those idols of our hearts, our view of life becomes lifeless. Our view of God in getting the wrong view of God determines a wrong view of life. Your view of God determines your view of life. Your view of life determines your way of life. Well, one's view of life necessarily, but again, not consistently, leads to a way of life. Proverbs makes this clear. Again, the verses in the in the bulletin. Um, Proverbs 23.7, I think the New American Standard translates it better than the English Standard. New American Standard translates it, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. As he views life, as he, the lenses through which he does things and sees things, determines who you are. As you think within yourself, so you are. And Proverbs also makes clear that the way we think about things, our view of life, is not always the way they actually are. We assume that our lenses give us 20-20 vision, but often they don't. Three verses there. It's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. This comes after 11 verses of making fun of fools. Well, nobody thinks they're a fool. Everybody thinks those verses apply to somebody else. And then the kicker comes in at verse 12. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. It's desperately important for the way we live our lives that we have a true understanding of God. Because, again, our view of God determines our view of life, and our view of life determines our way of life. Well, how does this all relate to communion, what we're about to do? It relates to a lot of things. I teach a, a doctrine course at Covenant College and basically have structured the whole course based on these two sentences. Um, but we're about to partake of communion. Communion teaches as much about God. In learning the lessons that it teaches us, we can form our view of life more and more to reality. And this leads us to a more real way of life. Among other things, communion teaches us first that we are dependent. We don't have life in ourselves. We have to get life from outside ourselves. Life only comes from death. We eat animals 
that have been killed so that we can live. Plants grow because other plants have died and fertilized the soil. Life comes from death, and life comes from outside of ourselves. Psalm 104.29, when you hide your face, you, God, hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So the fact that we have to be continually supplied, both physically and spiritually, shows our dependence on the one independent entity in the universe, on God. More than that, it shows that we're loved. God not only invites us into his presence, he has us partake of a symbolic meal with him. He shows that we're one family. He shows that we're his children. Now, that's not much of a meal. I don't think many of us are going to say, well, I think I'll skip lunch because I had communion. I'm full. But as Colossians says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is a foretaste of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Your view of God determines your view of life. Your view of life determines your way of life. Therefore, you can determine your true view of God by looking at your way of life. And if you want to change your way of life, you must first change your view of God. Pray with us. Father, we acknowledge that our view of you is, is not correct. Lord, we acknowledge that, uh, that we know so little about you. And, and Father, we acknowledge that the way we live and the way we view life is, is not what you would have us be, even the best of us. Father, we pray that you'll uh, be guiding us by your spirit. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. And help us to respond to that revelation and devotion and obedience. We pray in your son's name.